Here we go. Hi, this is Dr. Steve Vargo, Optometric Practice Management Consultant with IDOC. And this is the latest edition of the IDOC Focal Point Podcast, which is uh, currently devoted to keeping eye care professionals informed and updated on changes taking place as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. And last week, IDOC did a Facebook Live event with our HR consultant, Amy Alvarez, and uh, also our finance consultant, Nathan Hayes, to discuss the recent relief bills, the Family First Coronavirus Response Act, and the CARES Act. And at last count, that event had almost 3,000 views with 290 comments and 27 shares, and even a dog has a, an opinion about it. Um, there's a lot of attention around these bills right now. And as you can imagine, Amy, Nathan, and the IDOC team have been working furiously to answer uh, the questions that members have pertaining to this new legislation. So uh, what we decided to do was devote this podcast to answering some of the most commonly asked questions. And um, we're also working on a more exhaustive FAQ document that we hope to release in the next few days. Uh, before we get started, I do want to mention that we're recording this on March 31st, 2020, and while the information is currently accurate, this situation is, as we all know, evolving quickly and could change in the coming days and weeks, and also this does not constitute legal or medical advice. So now that we have those disclaimers out of the way, uh, Amy and Nathan, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. So we'll jump right in here. And again, this is a, you know, we, we looked at the, we kind of consolidated the questions that we had come in after the, the live event. And I think there was 150. So there might've been some of them that were similar, but uh, we had a chance to go through them and, and look at what are the, some of the more commonly asked questions. So um, we're going to tackle those here. And, and I'll start off with one that seems to be um, on a lot of people's minds and creating a lot of confusion as well. And it's over this deadline, this, this April 1st deadline. So um, the first question, I'll address this one to you, Amy. Do I need to lay off my employees before April 1st so I don't have to pay for leave under uh, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act? So the, that, that ruling does go into effect April 1st. It is also in effect through December 31st of 2020. So there's a little bit of misinformation out there as far as if I, if I lay them off now, then I don't have to deal with having to pay for that. So twofold. One, I highly would not recommend making decisions in regards to temporary layoff of your staff, just in regards to this one act. This is, this is something that is supposed to be supportive of employees in, in America, not a counterintuitive to the idea of keeping everyone employed. This one, number one, this is being funded, at least the sick leave portion of this is being funded by a direct payroll tax credit. So the practice is being re reimbursed for 100% of wages. This applies to businesses under the size of 50, so small businesses in America. Businesses larger than 50 will have to will have to follow up on that as that Department of Labor information has not come out as far as the credit. Unless Nathan, you know. Sorry, I have okay. a parenting moment. All right, keep going. Um, and then um, the second the second portion of this is this is a this is something that practices are going to have to carry for their employees whether they 
lay them off today or bring them back on June 30th. They will be eligible for sick leave and potentially an FMLA through the end of the year. So this is not going to go away because we've laid them off on March 31st. In reality, a layoff should be made on a personal decision on each individual practice based on what income the practice has and the ability to continue to pay payroll expenses or to use the services that are we know are available right now and we can utilize in an interim uh, until we have more information as far as what the practice will do in regards to the Care Act, CARES Act, which Nathan will get into in a second. Um, it's the, by laying off your employees now, let's make those decisions ethically and in the best interest of the practice and the employee and not in a way to just avoid having to comply with a law. I think it stands to reason that, you know, at some point you're going to have to bring them back, not that far in the future. And so while you may avoid a little exposure here, it's only going to be so much. And what's the impact on culture, right? Exactly. Amy, I'll, if the, um, if you covered this already, do I need to, because I'm still not clear myself, actually, do I need to, to fire or hire my staff back by April 1st? No. So there is also some confusion in regards to what is in the CARES Act and that and the loans there. And so Nathan will be able to give some more clarity around that 7A payroll forgiveness program. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> know, the acronym CPP is being used. Right so it's the Payroll um, Protection Program, or the Payroll Protection you. Program. And um, um, so, I, you know, interestingly, I'm not sure where people got the I think there was a rumor swirling that you had to hire back by April 1 to be eligible for this. It wasn't in the original version of the bill that I read, nor was it in the final version. Uh, the, the rules are this. So um, the government wants you to hire your employees back, keep them on payroll, not put them on unemployment uh, in, in no small part because Unemployment rolls spiked to 330,000 or so two weeks ago, and last week that went to about 3 million plus unemployment claims. So the unemployment offices are simply overwhelmed right now. Um, and what the Paycheck Protection Program says is effectively the government through the Small Business Administration will lend you um, up to two and a half times one month average payroll from the past 12 months. Um, and if you use that for payroll over the next for eight or the eight weeks following when you get your loan, uh, it can be used for payroll, um, for rent, for uh, utilities, but um, they will forgive as much as you put to salaries and benefits and occupancy costs, so rents and utilities and um, mortgage interest too. Uh, so long as you have the same number of full-time equivalent staff on June 30 of this year, as you did in the period from February 15 to June 30 last year, or from, I think it's January 1 to February 20th or something this year. So, so long as you basically got your staff at headcount back to where it was, it's, um, you'll get full forgiveness for what you put on payroll. And it doesn't mean that you have to carry your full staff over that period. It just means that you have to have restored um, by June 30th, um, who you, who you had before. There is another provision in there, just, just think about associate doctors, where if someone's wages have gone down more than 25%, that's the deduction to your uh, forgiveness. But again, same rules apply if you restore that salary by 
June 30, there's no, no deduction to your forgiveness. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Uh, Amy, I'm going to send this one back to you. Can I still offer my employees health insurance when they are collecting unemployment? Yes, but that is something that you have to talk to your, your provider about. So a lot of providers, almost all, um, including your secondary insurances like programs through AFLAC, are allowing you to continue on eligibility for employees who have been temporarily laid off, as long as obviously those premiums are still being paid. So there's two options here. The practice can cover those premiums while those employees are on unemployment, realizing, of course, that that may not be a possibility for everyone. So if that it is necessary for you to cost share with your employees before you lay them off or before you continue to offer these programs, insurance or secondary insurances, you have to make sure that you've gotten into an agreement with your employee about the expectations for pay. So if, let's just say you, you cover their health insurance, it costs the practice $300 and the employee covers $100, it's important to talk to that employee about how that $100 per month will be paid. Are you expecting it on the first of every month? That's typical. Are you expecting half on the first of the month, half on the 15th of the month? Are you going to talk to them about a repayment program once they're back to work, et cetera? Whatever that is, that agreement that you've come to, make sure that you have that agreement settled before that person goes out on their temporary leave or that you get that rectified as soon as possible so that you're both on the same page about payments. And that, of course, is only if the practice is unable to cover those premium payments. If you can cover that additional $400 a month, it's a wonderful retention tool. So is, is that part of the law that you would have to get there, um, that have that discussion with them, or is it just a good practice to have with your employees? It is written into some of the guidelines for FMLA, but in, re, in, in real practice, it's just the best practice for dealing with your employees. Mm -hmm. The problem becomes that a lot of times people will put off these conversations, and I'm not just talking about in optometry practices, I just mean in general. These conversations will be put off until that person comes back. The person assumed that there was coverage for their insurance while they were out and are maybe not necessarily prepared to cover it. And now it becomes a, oh, I didn't know that I was responsible for that and how are we supposed to rectify this? And instead of having that conversation on the back end where it can be messy, you know, the, the recommendation is always to have those agreements settled in the, in the front end. And keeping in mind that $400 a month may seem doable if this is three employees, if you have 14 employees who are on your health insurance and you need to cover an additional $400 a month on top of the premiums you're already covering, that could be a pretty penny and therefore something you really want to make sure that you discuss and, mm -hmm. and you have some type of semblance for. Right. Communication, right? Absolutely. That's what we always say. Let me, it's the let me add in something for confusion. an open question on this. It's worth considering. Um, the Paycheck Protection Program allows for you to use funds towards um, benefits, um, it's not entirely clear from the bill if you would have to keep those employees on to continue paying their benefits. So even just paying that may be forgivable for furloughed employees. Um, just keep an eye out for guidance on that. Um, I expect there to be some. Nathan, I, just on that point as well, do, do you have a sense for when things will be more clear? I, right now, the way I, I 
get the impression that these bills have passed, but there's a period of time after this that uh, the details start to come into light. And I think right now a lot of the um, the uncertainty we hear is it, it's in those gray, cloudy areas. Um, it, do you have a sense for over the it's a matter of weeks? Is it a matter of months? Are, are there going to be some things, some aspects of this that are always a bit ambiguous? Yeah, let's let Amy answer that because she's been following the the FFCRA, which passed on the 18th, I believe. Um, so about two weeks ago, and I understand they're just now getting guidance on a lot of that. Is that fair, Amy? Yeah. So I mean, let's let's think about any other law that has ever been passed in the history of the United States. Maybe not in the history of, but at least in recent times, you get a law passed. And it is minimally six months to a year before that actual law goes into place. And the reason for that is because they are all of the departments who are now responsible for executing on this law are deciding what parameters can or cannot be put in place around this. That time we don't have. We are essentially building the boat as we're going. And so when we look at families first as an example, the information about the eligibility for tax credit only just came out in the last couple of days. The fact that this is actually effective April 1st instead of April 2nd, as the law originally said, was, was published Sunday. Um, there are still some questions in regards to Families First, and that came out March 18th. Those questions being, do businesses under the size, under the size of 50 employees have to uh, offer the emergency family medical leave? And what is a healthcare provider? Is that only doctors? Can that be extended to other people? How do I apply for my tax credit? Or what is the documentation I need in order to get that? Those questions are still pending and we're now 15, we're 13 days later with that law actually going into effect tomorrow. So one of the things that they have announced for Families First from the Department of Labor is that we will be offered in the opportunity to use the month of April to become compliant. So even though this law goes into effect in April, compliancy is not, is not expected and required until May 1st, as long as by May 1st, you are not only compliant, but haven't done any necessary back pay if that exists. But again, remembering that, it, especially in regards to the sick pay that we have confirmation on, this will be eligible for a tax credit, so it is still not income coming directly out of the practice's pocket. There's there are still, as I said, a couple of pending questions here and we're waiting for that. I would expect that the CARES Act is going to follow that same trajectory, that we're still going to have several items that we're like, yeah, I think that that's true, or this is the way that it's written now, or here's what we're waiting on, this detail here. We're going to get those things piecemeal as we go, and that's why continuing to stay on top of that and updating is, is going to be very important. But it's also going to be really important to not jump to conclusions about what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And I think under this, um, you know, odd circumstance here with the level of urgency, um, we maybe shouldn't be surprised that a lot of things are moving quickly, but the details are, you know, waiting to remain um, you know, waiting to see how how some of that is going to shake out. Yeah. Even a lot of our I'll members say, saying, I, I, my accountant is giving me, you know, I'm getting mixed information from them or a bank or go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, um, I, I think the CARES Act was actually probably a little more straightforward, even modified parts of the, the FFCRA that had come out two weeks earlier. Um, 
the, the real open questions there, I mean, there may be some stuff on, on what I just raised that I was thinking about as we were talking through it. Um, the big open questions are going to be, what are the reporting that you're going to have to do on, on staff on payroll to, um, to apply for forgiveness on what you pay for payroll? Um, there's some ambiguity in how owner's compensation is going to be booked. You know, there's a cap on how much they'll forgive on compensation as wages up to an annualized rate of $100,000 a year, so roughly 8300 a month. Um, but, uh, you know, for an owner that just takes distributions and isn't on payroll, uh, exactly how it's calculated in every circumstance isn't exactly clear. So we expect some guidance on that. But the language is clear that, you know, owners and, and sole proprietors are eligible for their salary to be um, counted and uh, forgiven up to a, you know, again, an annualized rate of $100,000. But the rest of it's actually pretty straightforward in my view on, on some of the other questions that come up. Okay. So, um, Nathan, back to you, back to our uh, mm -hmm. uh, next question here. Can I get the EIDL for those keeping track? That's the Emergency Injury Disaster Loan and the PPP, which is the Paycheck Protection Program Loan. And if, uh, can I get it and should I get it? All right. So um, the answer is yes, you can get both. Uh, that, that's been, there's been a lot of confusion there. Um, I guess it's a yes, but. So yes, you can get both. The issue is that if you're going to claim forgiveness on payroll, you can't use the disaster loan for payroll at the same time, which makes sense. Effectively, you can't double dip. Um, additionally, part of the uh, modification to the EIDL, which is a program that's been in place for hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes, um, for years, um, you know, within that, they've also allowed for a $10,000 basically fast payment grant to the practice. Um, if you take that, it will be deducted from your forgiveness on the paycheck protection program. What I'm recommending there is, is two things. One, if you decide to get both or either open up a separate bank account and put the money there. So it's just, this is a suggestion I saw from a CPA online just be easy to track the payments because you are going to have to account for how you use it. Um, the second piece of advice, and, and we're going to write more on this in the coming days and, and do this in, in concert with your CPA in concert with um, your advisors and, and, and bankers. But a lot of practices are still going to be closed for another, I mean, how long do we think Four, eight, twelve 12 weeks at this point, maybe more. Um, my advice is to get as much liquidity, which means cash or, credit available as possible just to get through this. And if that means going ahead and applying for a disaster loan, any of the, the financial instruments out there, even conventional working capital loans, a line of credit, obviously um, you don't use until you have to pay back until you use it. But even if you take out a working capital loan or get the disaster loan, almost everything being written right now has 12 month deferments on payments, no interest for 12 months and basically no prepayment penalties. So my advice would be, and I know a lot of, and I say this because a lot of ODs are really resistant to debt. And I want to, in most circumstances, I want to honor that and say, yes, we shouldn't be taking on all the debt we can. In these extraordinary circumstances, I would get as much ability to keep my practice open as possible because it does nothing for you or your staff if you end up closing in three months because you run out of money. Um, I think the government will continue to support businesses, but get as much as you can. And then if you don't use it, you can just give it back with no problem. So. And the terms are really you know, low right now. Bear in mind that all these loans, the Paycheck Protection Program, um, even the, the disaster loans can't be used as an instrument to refinance your debts. 
Um, but you know, I would get what you can and, and be thoughtful. We'll have some more thoughts on how to use them and how to complement each other with them um, in the coming days. Sure. Thank you. Um, Amy, how am I supposed to pay for the sick leave and emergency FMLA from the, so many acronyms here, from the FFCRA, which is Families First Coronavirus Response Act? Yeah. So I think the bigger question that's coming up is how are we expected as small businesses to carry payroll, even if it's two thirds of that person's earnings for 10 weeks? If they have to be out for the care of a of a child, a minor child, whether they're school closed or they're daycare closed, that is the only reason, by the way, that one is eligible for that that leave. So they are going to be eligible for two weeks of pay at two thirds their rate for sick leave for the care of a minor child for those in those circumstances. That is that is what we were talking about uh, as far as what is credited back to you through a payroll tax credit. The, the emergency FMLA program that deals with the care of a minor is still questionable. The Department of Labor has put on their website that small businesses, businesses under 50, may be eligible to say that the viability of their business would be at risk for that type of leave. The word may, unfortunately, in the government means you have to prove it or we haven't decided yet that and we don't know what they mean by that as of this moment. And the other thing is that when I first started reading about Families First, they were indicating that the uh, payroll tax credit would not be eligible for FMLA and for the FMLA leave. And then I have read information about also being able to use that payroll tax credit to cover that leave as well. So. There are concerns both on both sides, not just paying for 10 weeks of leave that could potentially be covered by that payroll tax credit, but obviously also just having someone out for 10 weeks of leave. And we don't know how the, these two things interact together in regards to the CARES Act and having to get your staff up to the, the required number and all of those things. So unfortunately, the answer in this particular instance is we don't know what the requirement is going to be overall and how those two rules interact with each other, the CARES Act and F emergency FMLA should someone need to take advantage of that program. So uh, the Department of Labor has promised that this week we should be seeing some clarity around that. I mean, they gave us clarity. They said, hey, we're going to move it up a day. That was great. Um, so you know, potentially, potentially we should be seeing more clarity in regards to that emergency leave of absence in the upcoming days, just in regards to both its interaction with the CARES Act, but also just general eligibility. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll mention here, this is one of the reasons we keep doing this and, and putting out new, new content is because things are changing so rapidly. And, um, every day you mentioned the word clarity and then we'll continue to keep up with all the changes and, and, um, and reporting on that. So Nathan, back to you, how should I decide whether to furlough staff or take the money? Um, and I want to add one thing to, to Amy's last comment. It, it is a refundable tax credit, correct? Yeah, um, it's at, uh, they're actually allowing you to just deduct what you've already paid from what you pay to the government, as long as you are rectifying that in your records. Again, how you have to rectify that, still being built by the IRS, but um, 
but it, it, it would even it wouldn't just be that they are going to give that money back to you. You would not be required to pay it. So the refundable part means once you once you run out of payroll tax you owe, they're going to give you money back though, correct? Correct. Yes. They will refund you your payroll tax as as soon as you have over overpaid. All right, and I wanna, Steve, to come into your question, I wanna just run through how we're advising practices to triage their decision-making right now. And, and I just, I think it's a helpful framework for thinking about it, and, and I'm adding a fourth step here. Uh, step number one is just recognize that we're in a crisis um, that we haven't seen in a century, um, affecting businesses across every sector for an unknown period of time. And so a lot of the rules of thumb you have about prudence and debt management, you know, I want to support them and again, do things in concert with your CPA. Don't be afraid of debt if it means keeping your practice alive. Having said that, the other thing is, so one, recognize the crisis. Two, know what you need to protect first, which is your family assets first. So do not be putting personal money into your practice right now. If the practice has to go bankrupt, that's what it's for. I, I know that's a scary way to think about it. But if you think about the situations we're in, we need to, to plan for the worst. And that means that you know, okay, if the practice takes on debt and can't pay it back and has to go bankrupt, let's make sure we're protecting our personal assets. So don't draw on your 401k to fund it. Don't take out a home equity line to fund it. You know, don't take out a second loan in your car. Not that anyone's going to do that to do it. Um, recognize that in most states, those assets are protected in bankruptcy. And so it's fine. If the, it will be hard if it happens, but this is hard for everyone. Don't hurt your family's future. So take care of that first. Secondly, and we're getting to staff, but Secondly, do keep the practice alive as best you can. Um, you know, the practice is the thing that ties you and your staff together. It provides for you all. So if there's not a job for you or your staff to come back to, it doesn't help anybody. So if that means you need to furlough the staff, furlough the staff. Um, once you've answered those two questions that we think we can keep the practice okay for, and, and again, depending on where you are, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Uh, we've got a great cash flow calculator to help you assess that. That'll, you know, look at your baseline expenses based on last year's revenues and profits and expenses, you know, make deductions to that based on how much we think revenue is going to go down. And for a lot of practices, that's 80, 90, hundred percent right now. Um, make reductions for how much we think our staff pay is going to go down based on who we're furloughing or not. And then see, okay, what, what's my carry to keep this practice going? And it'll be a lot lower, but there's still going to be, you're still going to be posting a loss every month that you need to cover to keep things going. So, once you've assessed that, then figure out, you know, make an assessment, 8, 12, 16 weeks out. Do I have enough cash to get through that? And if you can keep your staff and keep the practice, practice open with the payroll or paycheck protection program, et cetera, do it. It's a great thing to do. But just keep things in order that, you know, it's, if you can do it, and a lot of practices can and are keeping their staff on, that's wonderful. Um, but protect your family, protect the practice first for everyone's sake. And Amy, we'll close out here. Last question. Can I pay my employees their full wages, even if they're not working full time? And is that going to be forgivable? Uh, yes, you can pay your staff their wages for full time, no matter how many hours they are working. Uh, one, what a wonderful retention tool. Some practices are doing that at, you know, a percentage. So if they're, even if that person is working a reduced um, schedule by a third or a fourth, they're still paying them 75 or 80 percent of what they would typically earn. I will let Nathan comment on the forgivability of that uh, extra yeah. payment. 
And I think, I think the, 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 the thing to recognize and the, what the government is recognizing in this program is they know you're shut down. They know that for, for most, if not all small businesses, it's an impossibility to pay your staff where there's no work and no revenue coming in from which to pay their wages. So they're saying, we're going to eat their wages for an eight week period from the time you take out this loan. And, and it won't matter. There's no accountability for what your staff are doing. The important thing is that you keep them on the payroll. So if, if within the scope of your business, and there's a timing game here too, you've got to take that loan out by June 30th. And then there's eight weeks past your origination date that it covers. That's the best understanding of the bill today. There may be rule writing to follow that um, changes that, but you know, it's a little ambiguous and people have been asking that question. Um, but yeah, it's you, the government's going to just forgive whatever you spend of that loan on your staff. So if that means paying them for full-time work with no work, they're going to forgive it. And the important thing is you kept your staff on payroll. So that's the, that's the principle behind it. And it's the opportunity you have that the question a lot of practices, particularly in, in harder hit areas are going to have is, okay, if I start sooner, and I think that money might be out in two or three weeks. So by the end of April, if not middle of April, if we start in April and have eight weeks from say April 15 to June 15, do I think we'll actually be back to work at that point? Or will I be back in the same situation where we're still closed and you know, now I have to decide whether to furlough my staff again or not. So there are some questions there and, and the government's doing everything they can on every side with unemployment benefits, with direct cash payments to us to help everyone get through this. But to the extent that your business can keep your staff on, I think you should. But again, that's to the extent you can protect the practice and your family first. A lot of moving parts here. And again, that's uh, why we're, and, and you two especially, have been the busiest two consultants uh, on the team, keeping up with, um, you know, by far the finance, the HR, uh, have been the, uh, the, the, the kind of focal points of, of the questions that have been coming in, understandably. So, um, and we'll continue to just keep our, you know, um, our eye on things and, and make sure that we keep people updated and get them information as, as quick as it comes out. So um, Amy Alvarez, Nathan Hayes, thank you again for your, your time. And thanks for staying on top of all the changes taking place and advising doctors, our members, and even doctors who aren't our members on, on how to appropriately respond. Um, IDOC as a company is uh, really committed and devoted to keeping eye care professionals informed and updated throughout this crisis. And for more information, I, I believe we'll probably be linking our resource page in the notes, a, a really um, great site to go to with a lot of different resources um, pertaining to the COVID-19 crisis. And, um, and then we'll continue to update as, uh, as new information comes in. And I think we, uh, um, we all hope we start to see the other side of this soon and get back to life as we knew it. Wishing everyone the best um, during this time. So, so thank you guys, and, and thanks to everyone who's um, who's listened in or, or watched in. Take care of yourselves.